Jammy tell them free weed. I times radio. Free weed. Free weed. Then he dank up on the I times radio. Free weed. Free weed. Danny Danko come to show you how it goes. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on High Times Radio, presented by High Times Magazine. Hey everybody, Danny here. Welcome to episode number 90 of High Times Presents, Free Weed from Danny Danko. Uh, we have as our guest today, Jesse Peters from Eco Firma Farms. So without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, here we are, episode 90. Episode 90, we made it to 90. Yeah, and weekly. And weekly. Just like we promised. Just, well, so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, but consistency, That's... you guys. If we remain consistent, we want you to come with us on this journey. Yeah, I, I like this show because what we've done consistently since we started in 2011 is like um, build up an audience and then alienate that audience (laughs) (laughs) and then try to build it back up again. So we really appreciate you guys uh, coming along for that ride. Yeah, absolutely. The ups, the downs, the (laughs) in-betweens. Yes, and thank you again to Winstrong and uh, Jacques Alac, uh, DJ Jacques, uh, for the wonderful revamp of the tune. What, yeah, do, you what, what the, do you think of the new uh, song? I love like it. it. Yeah, I love it. You guys, yeah. if the listeners out there have an opinion, uh, you know, obviously I, I love the classics, so the, the old one is still my favorite, but yeah. I do like this one too. So. At us. At us yeah. on Twitter. Get at us. Also, speaking of that, by the way, um, I, I know we're just getting started again, but please do communicate with us. Send us your grow questions, um, you know, freeweed at hightimes.com. Also, you can get Dan on Twitter, at Danny Danko. Yep. Uh, we want to hear from you guys, and we want to, you know, address the issues that you're having out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, related to, to pot. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two cannabis cups coming up, one in just a matter of days and another one in just a matter of days after that. Really excited about the uh, the NorCal Cup. Yeah. We have uh, the legend Phil Lesh. That's because you're a hippie. Well, uh, <laughs> I appreciate some of the hippie culture, and I'm definitely <laughs> excited to see Phil play. Yeah, so. Phil Lesh, uh, legendary bassist for the legendary Grateful Dead. Yeah, absolutely. But he's not the only act. That's right. Yeah, so there's there's Blues Traveler. Yep. Uh, G Love and Special Sauce. Awesome. Yeah, and Arrested Development. You remember them from... Uh, they had the Mr. Wendell song and Tennessee. Some, uh, Tennessee. Yeah. It's a great yeah. One. They performed at our cup in Canada as well yeah. last summer. And also Miguel. Miguel. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a we're really gonna cool be lineup. doing we're gonna be doing live free weed episodes. We've got uh, the Waldos, we've got uh, a bunch of people. Uh, Colin oh, we have the Waldos? That's awesome. We've got the Waldos. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the origins of four twenty. Nice. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, with some growers and breeders about entering the cup, what it takes to enter, um, how we judge the cup. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about growing. Uh, we've got some cultivation ones with Crockett. We're doing a show with uh, Crockett from Crockett Family Farms, a uh, frequent guest on the show in the past, and uh, one with uh, Mike from Exotic Genetics as well. So lots of grow stuff guess, and some yeah. interesting uh, cup stuff and 420 history. Absolutely, and I think it's it's like three shows Saturday and then a show on Sunday, so you you know there's plenty of opportunity to get out and see uh, Dan and I up there. That's right, and also come for the the music and of course the pot. There's going to be you know a ton of pot. Yeah, a I ton imagine. of pot, uh, some dabs, some edibles, 
some concentrates, tinctures, uh, uh, distillates, all sorts of stuff, uh, topicals. And then, and then, if that were, weren't enough for you, uh, the following week we have a cup in Michigan. It's like we're just on tour. Yep, Clio, yeah. Michigan, uh, right outside of Flint. We will be there June 9th and tenth um, at the. Auto City Speedway. <laughs> One of our favorite <laughs> venues. I know you Absolutely. love it out there. Love it. Love it. Michigan. Michiganders. <laughs> love you guys. Uh, and uh, that's looking to be off the hook. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Vic Mensa performing. Waka Flocka. And uh, more artists. TBA. And, uh, Waka Flocka. In, in the business, TBA means to be announced. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. look at you. You're big league in me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we call it in, uh, in show business. Uh-huh. I like it. To be announced. Um, That's right. Yeah, so Vic Mensa, of course, he had a really awesome interview with us, I think, in the, um, the March issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Waka Flocka and more to come. So if you guys are interested in coming out, uh, Dan and I will be at those cups. We'll be doing the free weed live there. Um, yep. Go to CannabisCup.com to get tickets or for more information. Check it out. Yep. And you know what? We have such a, a, a good show here with the grow info and the interview. What do, you, what do you say we just get right to it? Yeah, let's get to it. We have Jesse Peters from Eco Firma Farms in Oregon uh, talking about a lot of very interesting stuff about sustainability and uh, just got to visit them in Oregon. So um, we'll be talking with Jesse from Eco Firma Farms. Stick around for episode 90 of Free Weed. All right. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are here with Jesse Peters of Eco Firma Farms. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Happy to be here. Right on. Well, uh, tell me uh, a little bit about your background, um, uh, just a little bit of your history um, in cannabis and just in life in general. Uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, basically, there's kind of two stories there. I've lived two lives. So when it comes to cannabis, I was actually born into the industry. My Mom took the misdemeanor. My dad took the felony for the five pounds that were under my crib when they brought me home from the hospital. (laughs) So cannabis was a way of life around my house growing up. Uh, However, conversely, I went to high school, went to college, joined the Marine Corps, worked as fire department. Uh, Always kind of had one life over here, living the normal life, while on the other side I was always involved in cannabis at some aspect since high school. So, uh, so you're a Marine and a firefighter? Correct. Wow. That's amazing. Um, now, uh, you started Ecoferma Farms in 2012? 2012. We registered it as a company in 2013. Nice. Nice. Um, now, uh, what interested me uh, in reading about Ecoferma is the emphasis that you guys have placed on sustainability in, uh, you know, in marijuana production. Uh, now tell me a little bit about that because you guys use wind power, recycling, a lot of a lot of different techniques in order to lower your carbon footprint to to practically neutral. Yeah, I mean honestly, the goal for us has been to be a carbon neutral farm. Uh, it was years ago when I started realizing like how much carbon is actually produced, how much CO two is put into the atmosphere just for the production of one pound of cannabis. You start looking at the ability to spool up and go to scale. You start thinking about those HID lights and then the mercury that's in the lights and then the disposal and the changing of the bulbs and the power that we're cooking. And it really uh, 
with all integrity, I could not look at myself in the mirror and consider that I was doing this to the planet for a profit. So we had to look at other options. So luckily for us in Oregon, we could do everything through wind power. So we're 100% carbon neutral on every ounce of electricity that we use. It's all 100% wind power. Last year, we took out over 373,000 pounds of CO2 from the atmosphere. And, uh, and we just focus every day on what is the next step we can take? How do we get rid of our garbage service? How do we get cleaner? How do we do this better? And uh, speaking of garbage, you do a lot of recycling as well. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the recycling aspect of Ecofirma? Yeah. I mean, uh, you want to go down a rabbit hole, try to get rid of your garbage. <laughs> try to have no garbage can. We, uh, once we knocked down the power, we were like, what's the next biggest thing that we can tackle? And garbage was the next one. So we started a really big recycling program at work. Uh, and it's amazing because you see people actually – the employees start to really get into it. They start to have almost a competition of how long can we go before we fill the dumpster? How small of a garbage can can we actually get? And you see employees coming to work with sandwich bags that they wash out in the sink and bring home. And then you hear them talking about their wives or their husbands at home making fun of them because they're doing it at home too. So it, it, that recycle, that mentality of sustainability environmentally starts to carry on outside of just the company, which is a really cool thing to watch. Now, also, uh, what about fertilization or, or fertigation? Um, there, there's ways to save on that as well, right? Yes, definitely. So we use what's called – we use a rhythm system. Rhythm Arcadius created an automation system for us that actually does all of our fertigation, our watering. It, it'll, in, it'll actually control our environment as well. So it gives us an ability to really dial back to the milliliter of exactly how much nutrient we use and really pay attention to our metrics and see how much cannabis is produced versus how much nutrient we use. And we can start slowing it down and dialing it back and testing our runoff and watching that through an automated system so that we could get really finite. And that not only helps with your finances and it helps with the environment, but it helps with your ability to create a really high quality product because you're not overfeeding for the sake of overfeeding. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you've also been involved uh, politically uh, as far as like the Oregon rules on cultivation. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, your uh, involvement in you know the politics of, of uh, cannabis legalization statewide and I guess nationwide as well? Yeah, no problem. We uh, So I'm on the board of the Oregon Cannabis Association. Uh, I'm also part of the Craft Cannabis Alliance uh, in Oregon. We go and lobby twice a year in D.C. for fair cannabis rules. We're really focused on banking and tax law 280E. And then locally, we try to work with the local government quite a bit to be subject matter experts to try to set a system up that makes sense and get through the hurdles and speed bumps. And to be honest, if you're in a state that's got cannabis coming online or has recently come online, uh, whether it's medical or recreational. Uh, if you're a business owner, you want to do everything you can to involve yourself in that process because the reality is the lawmakers, most of them actually want a good system, but they really don't know anything about it. And so if special interest groups get in their ear and push them in the wrong direction, that's the direction they'll go. So you have to participate. I mean, it takes a lot of time out of your day and out of your life and it, it, it chews into the time that you need to be creating a business as well, but it's it's a necessity. Right. And you also had an interesting story about uh, the banking system and, you know, uh, you know, lobbying sort of for 
uh, a federal, a federally recognized banking system. Can you t- tell a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, about a year ago, we were lobbying in D.C. and we got an interview in Murkowski's office. We got a chance to go meet with Senator Murkowski's uh, top aide. And so we went in to go talk to the staffer, and Murkowski at the time was pretty against cannabis. Uh, and when we got into the office and we all sat down, uh, you could tell there was, a, there was a negative vibe in the office already just right off the bat. And, and one of the points that the, that the staffer had made that they were really concerned with was that now that cannabis is legal in Alaska, there's a lot of gun owners, and those gun owners are purchasing guns, and they're lying on a federal background check form saying they have not consumed a drug, yet they've purchased a weapon. And this was a big concern in Alaska, which, I mean, I thought was a really interesting thing to be your biggest concern when it comes to cannabis. But, hey, your concern is your concern. Uh, and at that time, he pointed at me in the room and said, well, you, you're a firefighter and you get federal funds as a firefighter and you consume cannabis, which is federally illegal. You're breaking the law. And my response was, I don't consume cannabis. And he was floored. It's like, I, you're, you're right. I'm in the fire department. At the time I was still in the Marine Corps, I don't consume cannabis. It had not occurred to him that that was possible. It, it just – he was completely floored, which was a really interesting to, thing to see that it just hadn't occurred to him. And since then now, you see legislation that's on the floor right now that's brought forward by Senator Merkley and co-sponsored by Senator Murkowski – for federal banking for cannabis. They have changed their stance on cannabis laws and reform since that meeting, all from that small piece of information. <laughs> amazing. That's really good. That's amazing. Um, now, as a veteran, um, uh, have you seen uh, the benefits of cannabis for uh, uh, veterans and, and, and people that have uh, been part of the armed services? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's no question that that cannabis and specific strains of cannabis are a massive help with PTSD. They can assist veterans that have PTSD or are suffering from symptoms of traumatic brain injury uh, far better than the mass quantities of psychoactive drugs, uh, the mass quantities of pain pills. I mean, we're losing 22 veterans a day when we don't have to, and that's what we can see. Like you and I were speaking about earlier, y- you can't see the ones that are drinking themselves to death or they're deep, deep, deep into a pill bottle and they can't find their way out of it. Not to mention all of the non-combat veterans that come out and just have broken bones. Maybe you did 10 or 15 years as a PJ and you've been jumping out of planes for all that time and now your choice is Vicodin or cannabis. Cannabis should be that option. You paid your price. You did your job. It shouldn't be taken away from you. Right. Wow. Um, well, let's talk about the farm again a little bit. Uh, what are some of the strains that you grow at Ecofirma? Oh, wow. I uh, put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> uh, we, we have a pretty diverse line. Of course, we, we called ourselves the cookie farm for a while. We had a lot of cookie strains, uh, Puna cookies, Platinum Girl Scout cookies. Uh, we try to keep everything mixed up. Uh, we've got some unique strains, Lucid Dream, uh, Maui Bubble Gift, which is a high CBD strain that tends to do a lot for people. We have Three Kings, which tends to be more popular on the East Coast. Chem 4 that we pulled out of California. We have a breeding program that we're working through right now where we can actually want to be able to put forth stable genetics, not F1s, but being able to give you a 10-pack of seeds. And when you pop those seeds, all 10 of them look like the picture. Uh, we even got some genetics that we brought in recently that are over 40 years old that we cracked the seeds on and are going to have a chance to load up on the Phylos Bioscience Galaxy and 
really see if we can get some land races up there. Oh, that's great. Um, and, and what are Pachecos? Pachecos. Pachecos. Pachecos are, um, we don't like to call them pre-rolls. We call them smokes. They're very similar to cigarettes. In fact, they look just like cigarettes. If you put them in a pack of cigarettes, you can walk into a club and no one will think any differently of you. Mm-hmm. If you're smoking one on the street, no one will look at you funny. Uh, they're hand-rolled specifically at our farm in a proprietary method that will allow them to burn appropriately. And we've broken them down into multiple categories so that we can start trying to get away from that indica sativa mindset and start being able to really give the consumer more of a refined definition of the experience they're looking for. All right. And uh, do you guys practice any sort of uh, integrated pest management or uh, what are the rules in Oregon as far as, uh, you know, pesticides? Do uh, do you know? Yeah, I mean, the general rule in Oregon is no pesticide. Mm -hmm. So there are a few things you can use. And if you're in a state that's coming online, you should really look heavily at this and really start working towards this pest management system because California is going to be worse than, than Oregon is. And worse by worse, to be honest with you, I mean better. We can't spray anything on the cannabis because you don't know what happens when it combusts. And when you spray things on cannabis like mycobutanol or Eagle 20 to prevent powdery mildew, which has been used for a long time in cannabis, when you light that on fire, it becomes a neurotoxin. So you're actually poisoning people. And a lot of people probably just don't realize that about what they were using, you know, spraying Avid, spraying Eagle 20. So when Oregon came on and made their rules, they they eliminated almost all pesticides to include some OMRI-listed organic pesticides just because they didn't have an idea what to use. So for us, when we saw that coming online, rather than try to fight it and figure out what we could spray, we created a complete biosphere of all our pest management. We use beneficial bugs. So we have a whole living dichotomy going on within the garden at all times of just bringing in the right amount of good bugs to balance out any bad bugs and we don't spray anything right and you're also you're in oregon there's a lot of powdery mildew i would imagine yeah Uh, and and what's i mean do you find uh, strains that are resist you know more resistant to that um do what what is your strategy as far as uh, pm goes so really we kind of have a three-pronged strategy cleanliness You know, we really try to stick to cleanliness, but you have to accept the fact that you're not growing in a clean room, and no matter how clean your space is, contamination will happen. So we take that to heart, and we don't go too extreme. Uh, We then also make sure that we keep our plants extremely healthy so that their immune systems can fight off any powdery mildew that may or may not come in. We, in our all of our HVAC systems, we have scrubbers that will actively keep the air scrubbed and clean so it'll kill any of that powdery mildew floating around in the air. Uh, And then we do actually have, we have one strain that we've brought in that is totally powdery mildew resistant and we're in the process of breeding that into other strains so that we can start creating powdery mildew resistant strains and then get those stable, put them in seed form and start releasing those seeds out so that we can start pushing back against that powdery mildew wave. Right, and uh, you also mentioned to me earlier that you guys are working on some pretty uh, serious expansion projects. Can you uh, enlighten us a bit about uh, Ecofirma's expansion? Yeah, so uh, we actually are in the process of going public right now. Uh, We've got our conditional approval. Uh, C21 is the name of our new parent company. We've signed a deal. We have a lot of term sheets on the table. Uh, Moving forward, we should start trading here in a few weeks. And from what I understand, we closed 
uh, our, our first funding round, we closed at $33,550,000. That's going to be the largest private placement Canadian stock exchange funding of an American company, of an Oregon company, in history. Wow. That's amazing. Um, one of the big things in the news, uh, in the cannabis space at least, is that, uh, you know, the price drop in Oregon, this whole sort of, uh, you know, glut of uh, cannabis production and, and concentrate production. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience with, uh, with this massive price drop? Yeah. So actually, these two topics tie together really well. Part of the reason why we looked at this play and wanted to bring this capital in is because it's always been my opinion that if you can get that much capital, you can do two things with it. You can try to build yourself up and crush your enemies, or you can spread that capital around and try to stabilize your market. And that's exactly what we want to do. Oregon has seen a big price drop, and, and a big reason that they've seen it, and it's going to happen like dominoes. You'll see it in California, too. A lot of people came into the green rush and thought, I'm going to be rich, and they spent a lot of money and built a lot of farm space. But there's only so much consumption that can happen in a closed border market. And so all that overproduction happens, and then it's sitting in a legal system where it's tracked, so it has to stay there. People panic. They want some of their investment back. They've accepted the fact that they won't be here next year, and they just want to recoup a little bit of their loss. And so they will sell at less than they can produce for. Well, when you have companies that want to sustain and stick around, that makes things extremely difficult because how do you compete with that at the retail level? And this is not going to just end in a couple of months. This is going to stay this way until most likely around the summer of 2019, the summer of 2020, is when we'll start to see things equalize. But that's going to happen in California as well. So you need to prepare yourself financially as a company for that to happen. Have a good plan. Be vertically integrated. Be linked up to partners. Pull in with somebody who has the capital and make sure that you can sustain and have a solid vertically integrated business plan to make it through this glut because it's it's going to take a lot of people's life savings and we're watching it happen in Oregon. We've watched it happen in Washington where they can't bring in outside ownership. So Washington's its own island with its own set of problems in that, that that can't reach out for help. Right. And just to clarify for people, we're talking about uh, pounds selling for like $200 uh, on like the wholesale marketplace, right? And that, and, and there, it's costing more than that to produce that pound. And, and so th these are people who are just trying to uh, recoup whatever they can and get out basically um, competing with people who are in it for the long haul, um, who, who may or may not have the funding to be able to wait it out as well, right? No, yeah, that's definitely the that's definitely the point. I mean, Oregon has about 1.4 million pounds in its metric system inventory, and it consumes about 429,000 pounds a year, roughly. So the good news there on the legal front and what used to be the coal memo is it is all tracked. It's not going anywhere. It's not leaving the state. It's in the system. So you don't have to worry about it escaping the borders. Conversely... It's got to go somewhere eventually or it has to be destroyed as it loses its quality. And so you have a lot of businesses that are going to suffer while we figure out how to balance this supply-demand curve. And I'm hoping that we can bring the right capital and the right players to the table in Oregon and in other states coming online to try to balance that a lot sooner. All right. Um, now, uh, tell our listeners how they can uh, learn a little bit more about Ecoformer Farms uh, websites, social media, that sort of thing. Yeah, you can go check us out at ecofirmafarms.com. You can see all of our press on the website if you check under the About tab or if you check under our news or our media. You can read about our sustainability programs. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all Ecofirmafarms.
All right. Well, thank you so much, Jesse Peters from Ecofirma Farms. Thank you uh, for your service as a Marine, as a firefighter, and as a cannabis entrepreneur. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate being here. All right on. We'll be back. All right, you guys, now is the time where we shout out our sponsor, BC Northern Lights. You can become your own producer, self-sufficiently creating your own cannabis with a grow box from BC Northern Lights. Um, This is a company that's been around. They understand uh, what it takes to grow cannabis in a grow box. Everything is touchscreen. Everything is uh, very simple, very easy to run. And they have great tech support and support in general. You can call them. Uh, you know, on their 800 number and get help from them anytime. There's all different kinds of grow boxes to choose from, so check them out, please, at bcnorthernlights.com, and you can call them seven days a week at 888-236-1266. There are are special deals if you mention uh, free weed from Danny Danko. In fact, there's a promo code danko-can. Danko-can will get you free nutrients for six months uh, with the purchase of a grow box. Uh, so they have everything you need really to get started. And, uh, you know, the return on investment on these machines is pretty quick uh, if you know what you're doing. So you can build your own, you know, closet space. You can, you know, try to put th- something together like that. Um, or you can just purchase one of these. Uh, it's a little more expensive, but well worth it. And uh, it's delivered to you within two weeks. You are growing. Check them out, bcnorthernlights.com. All right, so thank you to Jesse Peters from Ecofirma Farms in Oregon. Really interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's got an, uh, the firefighting background, the military, mm-hmm. and, uh, and now, now cannabis. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, you know, how people adapt to those changing uh, marketplace is, you know, how um, they're going to survive. I think that was the most interesting part where he was talking about how Oregon's, um, how the uh, the economy is working out there just with all the surplus of pot and all mm-hmm. the people getting in the game and doing it the right way. And you just visited them, right? That's right. I just got back from uh, Portland this weekend and went and saw the farm and everything. And uh, yeah, like you said, uh, uh, other states are going to be learning from the example of what's happening right now in Oregon. And, uh, you know, definitely interesting interesting times we live in mike uh, i tell you yeah. <laughs> um, so yes so welcome to the cultivation section here that's right. in episode 90 uh it, it is an off fortnight i guess if we do strain of the fortnight uh this is the part of the um the schedule that we don't do the strain so there's not going <laughs> to be right. a strain today that's right but we we are going to be talking talking about growing yeah, you have a, a lesson for everybody um, yep today's lesson is about uh grow room temperature and humidity levels um, these are two very important things that are very often ignored, um, oddly enough, even though that it seems um, so obvious. But if you have a room that's too hot uh, or a room that's too dry or even, you know, too humid, uh, you can have problems. And, you know, the, other, the opposite side is if the room is too cold, you know, uh, which is less frequent because we're using hot lights. But if you are in a very cold place and, you know, you're in your nighttime uh, part of your schedule, you can get it can get too cold as well. So, uh, what is the best grow room temperature and humidity levels uh, for growing cannabis? Well, uh, the truth is, it depends on the stage of your plant's life. 
most people would consider that you know the plant needs uh, slightly different conditions during different periods of, of growth. So during vegetative growth, flowering, um, there's different atmospheric condition, conditions that, uh, that are ideal. Um, the first thing you're going to need to do is be able to measure uh, the temperature and humidity. So you need a thermometer and a hygrometer, and I definitely recommend investing in a digital one uh, at this point because it'll tell you the highs and the lows. It'll tell you what's happening in the room when you're not there. Um, which is most of the time, unless you're, you know, really obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the digital, you know, thermometer, hygrometer will tell you highs and lows. Uh, it'll, and again, like I said, it, you can keep track of that sometimes with your phone. Um, there's lots of different ways now nowadays to, uh, to keep track of that. Again, uh, once you've measured it, you're going to need to be able to change the temperature and the humidity. And for that, um, you're going to possibly need... Uh, air conditioning, uh, possibly need a heater, definitely air conditioning depending on uh, what kind of grow lights you're using, but certainly uh, you want to be able to cool the air and as far as humidity, humidifier or a dehumidifier depending. So, you know, someone in Colorado is going to have different, uh, you know, needs than someone in Northern California, but you do want to dial in these sort of temperatures. Now, uh, as far as cloning, this is the period when you want the most heat and humidity because, uh, you know, basically the plant doesn't have roots at this point to take in moisture. It's going to be taking in moisture through leaves and through uh, the cut end. Um, so you want that to be warm and moist. So I would recommend about uh, 74 to 78 degrees Fahrenheit at a relative humidity of about 75 to 85 percent. Uh, that's why the humidity domes work nice. They keep the humidity in there. Um, and as far as temperature, you know, 74 to 78 is, is warmer than room temperature. I tell people this a lot, but a lot of times I see people trying to clone at room temperature, uh, which is actually a little bit too cold for this process. So, you know, a little heat mat that you plug in, I mean, it can't be more than 10 or 15 bucks. Uh, you plug in the heat mat and that will dramatically increase um, your cloning rate by slightly increasing the heat. Uh, in your cloning tray um, so uh, that's how you know that's where you want it for for uh, cloning now for the vegetative stage once the plants have developed a root system but they're still not flowering um, you basically want uh, about 70 to eight uh, 70 to 78 degrees Fahrenheit when the lights are on you don't want it to get much cooler than 10 or 15 degrees colder than that um, so you know you definitely don't want it to, to go below 55 or so um, you know, 60, 62, 63 at night is fine, but uh, you don't want to go too cold. Um, with these settings, your plants are going to be best able to convert light into energy for growth. Um, now, humidity you want to bring down from where it was for cloning to about 45 to 55%. So basically about 50% humidity uh, in the room during the vegetative stage, and, and you'll see the plant growing fine. If it's too dry, uh, what happens is the plant just won't respirate. It will not release, uh, you know, moisture and take in light and all of that. It just slows growth, and, and you don't want that. Um, and typically, our homes are, are, you know, especially in the wintertime, way too too dry. So you're going to want to use a humidifier to raise the humidity. Um, now you're reaching the flowering stage. So in the flowering stage, you want to bring bring the temperature down just a little bit. Um, 68 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit during the day. Again, no more than 10 or 15 uh, degrees cooler at night. Um, 
Now, if you're supplementing with CO2, uh, you can bring those daytime temps up to 75 to 82 or so. Uh, but uh, without supplementing, just with airflow, you keep it around 68 to 75 during flowering. Um, humidity you want to bring down as well because you're trying to avoid uh, root, you know, uh, bud rot and, and that sort of thing. So 35 uh, to 45% relative humidity um, and even lower, like 30% for the last couple of weeks um, just to avoid issues with powdery mildew, uh, mold, bud rot, and any of that stuff. So um, that's for growing. I should also mention for drying and curing because um, this is a place where a lot of people mess up and uh, a big thing lately these days is like the cold cure, curing at a cooler temperature. So uh, I think, you know, the ideal temps for, for your, your, your uh, drying area is about 65 to 74 degrees Fahrenheit um, with the humidity, again, about 45 to 55% uh, in a dark and well-ventilated room. So the air is, the water that's being put pumped into the air is being pumped out as well. Uh, about six to ten days, uh, uh, your hanging branches will snap instead of bending. Um, you know, the buds should feel about popcorn dry on the outside. Um, now you're going to cut those individual buds off of the branches, put them into glass jars to begin the curing process. Uh, you want to cure your buds uh, in a cool and dark place. So, you know, 68 to 72 degrees tops uh, in a dark place in a sealed jar. So there you have it. Those are the ideal temperatures and humidity levels for all stages of growth and even uh, harvesting as well. Oh, very good and very helpful. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Yes, yeah. uh, temperature and humidity, it seems to be at the root of a lot of uh, problems. So Absolutely. Climate control, bug. essential. Essential in a grow space and uh, often, very often neglected, especially by the home grower because, uh, you know, they think it's like a house plant you can just keep it right there and it'll grow but you really want to create the ideal conditions absolutely all right so uh let's move on we're going to go to my favorite part of the show which is uh, answering listeners grow questions and danny danko has those answers uh we appreciate the couple of questions we got but we really want everybody to send in their questions you can reach us uh freeweed at hightimes.com also at danny danko on twitter if uh, that's your preference so let's just dive right in. What do you say? Yeah, and hashtag free weed. Let's let's hashtag let's own weed. that hashtag because there's other people out there, obviously, um, using it. But let's own it. Yeah, I feel like we really started a couple of things: the whole free weed thing, the Fortnite thing. Yeah, Fortnite is a huge thing now. We're ahead of the curve on both yeah. of those <laughs> things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, this first question is from uh, Chad, and Chad's a longtime listener. He's happy that we're back doing this show, and so are we, Chad. Um, and he said episode 89 was a great one. So I don't know if I'd go that far, but I enjoyed it as well. Uh, the question is uh, relating to foxtailing. Now, he realizes that genetics play some part in it, but is it safe to assume that, the, uh, that excessively warm rooms, like 80 to 85 degrees, are a main contributor? Yeah, and I'm, uh, just to explain by foxtailing, what he means is when the buds... Um, sort of stretch out. I call it dreading as well, where the, they sort of look like dreadlocks. I like dreading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's basically foxtailing. Sometimes, like you said, it's genetic. Some strains just tend to do that. Uh, but, yeah, he's right as well. Um, high, high temperatures uh, up to 85 or, or higher are, uh, will definitely make a, a bud go more wispy like that. Um, yeah. 
and, and so. also pertaining to the, the conversation that you just had about humidity and temperature and all of that, uh, he was arguing at length with a coworker, and he sa- uh, his coworker said he thinks that th- thermometers belong above the lighting equipment toward the ceiling, whereas Chad thinks uh, they belong between the canopy and the lights. So he just wants you to settle this debate. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, Chad is definitely right about that. The the thermometers belong basically at canopy level, um, below the lights, um, to really know what's going on at canopy level because uh, temperature at, at leaf surface is is very important. Um, but again, uh, you know, you're going to get a decent measurement from above the lights because heat rises, uh, but it's not going to be an accurate uh, perception of what's happening at leaf surface, uh, which can definitely be many degrees higher. Um, than you know, ambient air, whether it be above or, or below or, or to the side. So, um, yeah, between the light and canopy is, is where you want thermometers. But it doesn't hurt to have thermometers in other places, too, so you just know what's going on in the room. Sure, but for the sake of argument, let's just say that Chad uh, wins that debate. Yes. So thank you, Chad. Uh, please write us again. Let's move on to Max. Um, Max has a question, I think, that's on a lot of people's minds. Uh, he wonders, t- uh, Danny... Do you think there will be room for re- new retail growers in uh, 2019? He's a little concerned the market will be too populated and won't leave room for new companies. So what, what do you think generally about the, uh, the cannabis space moving forward? Okay, uh, that's a good question. Uh, what I think is if you provide uh, an excellent product at a good price, you will be able to compete. Uh, and what that means is uh, at that moment as well. So um, whether the market's oversaturated, undersaturated, whether there's too much demand, too much supply, whatever it might be, if, if you have a desirable p- product, a well-grown quality strain, you know, triple A quality at a reasonable price, you know, wh- what the market will bear at that time um, for that quality, then you'll survive. Um, if you're just in it to make money and you're just producing, you know, biomass <laughs> material <laughs> yeah. um, that you're trying to convert into cash, uh, you may have issues. But um, if your heart's in the right place, you're doing, you know, the best you can uh, with the highest quality genetics, you should be able to survive in a retail marketplace. Um, certainly, I'm going to buy my cannabis if I buy it from uh, the mom and pops that are producing it you know, in smaller quantities at higher qualities. And if I have to pay a little extra for it, I will because I want it to burn right and I want it to be what I want it to be and be properly tested and clean and all of that. So, um, yeah, people who do the right thing are going to survive in the marketplace, in my opinion. There's always a place, uh, there's always space for people who grow great pots. So uh, thank you for writing that, Max. Um, Please keep on listening. Uh, let's move on to Carlton. You remember Carlton, one of our uh, first commenters. He's been with the show a long time. That's right. Uh, he was having an argument with his uncle about nutrients. His uncle doesn't see any difference between um, synthetic uh, and organic nutrients. He thinks it's just a scam. So Carlton wants to know if you could explain to him why organic is way better for plants than synthetics. Okay. Well, <laughs> we can do a whole show yeah, on this. Take a while. I think we have. Um, but the the truth is, uh, organics is better for the environment. It's better for you, and it's better for the plant. So um, think of it that way. I mean, uh, it's coming from a non chemical derived source. So we're not talking about uh, 
um, something that's made in a laboratory where they're just taking nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus and micronutrients and combining them and into you know soluble forms they're actually uh, coming from uh, seaweed and you know guanos and things uh, depending on where they're derived so they're naturally sourced um, and usually easier easy, more easily digestible by the plant easier for the roots to take in uh, and convert into sugars and growth uh, and you know I mean the argument can, can, can go on forever nitrogen is nitrogen it's the same molecule it's just a matter of where it comes from and where it goes in the plant uh, and so you know I know for my purposes I prefer organic pot I prefer organic vegetables and, and fruits and some of that has to do with pesticides as well because um, you know when you're growing organically you're not allowed to do uh, some things that chemical nutrients will allow you to do which is use roundup and pesticides and eagle 20 and all this stuff so uh, organic doesn't just mean you know fed with organics it also means you know treated it in an organic manner um, now we're, we're also talking about runoff and, and the environment you know uh, that's also a very important thing. Where's the stuff? These chem, where are these chemicals going after, uh, you know, not being used by the plant and and all of that. So, um, and even for the plant, again, like if you have a living soil, you get a better product. If there's a, a symbiotic process going happening between uh, the beneficial bacteria, the mycelia. Um, if you're growing outdoors, the worms. All of the different things that are, are contributing to life in your soil are going to protect your plants, uh, keep you from having to use as much nutrient in general. So even you know, with organics, you can get down to where you're using very little actual added plant foods and really just having the soil feed the roots and feed the plant. So uh, you know, long story short, uh, organics are different from synthetics in, in, in many ways. Um, I've heard the argument a million times that, you know, the molecules are the molecules, but there's more to it than that. So um, that's where I stand on that one. All right. Very good. So just to recap really quickly, uh, according to Danko, Chad is right. Max should follow his dreams. And Carlton is right. And his uncle is an idiot. <laughs> I, didn't <laughs> say, I did not say that. All right. We've got time for one more question here. Um, let's go to Zach's dad who writes, um, I have a plant that's about two feet tall. It started flowering early for some reason, but it's budding beautifully at this point. It's been raised strictly outside, and it's, time, uh, it's my first time trying to grow anything. Uh, my question is, how will I know when it's the right time to harvest? A lot of people wonder that. Um, right now, there are about 25 to 30% red hairs. Is it too soon? All right. Um, well, to begin with, uh, the amount uh, or the percentage of red hairs is not an accurate way to judge uh, the proper time to harvest. So um, the first thing you need to do is get some sort of a mag magnification device like a loop, a uh, microscope, something that will give you a closer look at the actual trichomes. Um, now, the trichomes are what people sometimes refer to as crystals, uh, but they're actually... Uh, glands that are filled with essential oils that are made up of cannabinoids. Okay, so, uh, that's the THC, the CBD, uh, CBN, as well as uh, flavonoids and terpenes. And terpenes give it, you know, flavor. Or flavonoids give it flavor. Terpenes, uh, you know, the smells and the uh, taste as well. 
uh, and effect. Uh, so all of that works together in, in, to make the essential oil that's inside that gland head. Um, but when you look at a trichome up close, um, they look like uh, little clear mushrooms, basically. There's a stalk and then sort of a bulbous head um, that grows bigger uh, as the plant's growing, as it's flowering. Um, and those gland heads are what you separate and press together to make hash. I mean, that's ultimately where all of the, you know, or, or most of the essential oil resides, as in those the, the, the balls at the end of the those stalks, which are the glandular trichomes. Now, as harvest time approaches, those gland heads are going to go from clear uh, to cloudy white. So they'll start to cloud up in the middle um, as it's approaching harvest. And then what happens is eventually, uh, as they go even, even more mature, they'll go from clear uh, to, to uh, white uh, and cloudy to amber-colored, like, uh, like you'd see in you know, Jurassic Park, where they have the, <laughs> the mosquito uh, stuck in the amber. <laughs> so uh, basically, it's kind of up to you at that point now, uh, uh, as far as ripeness goes. If you harvest when the gland heads are, most of the gland heads are still clear, um, uh, to cloudy, you'll get more of an sort of an uplifting high. Uh, a lot of times, uh, people who are making hash will harvest a little early too because they like to have that lighter color, uh, you know, in, in their hash. So they'll do that a little early. Um, and if you wait until most of the gland heads are are more amber, uh, the effect will also be a bit more lethargic. Um, so you know, even if it's a if it's a sativa, you can if you harvest it a little too late, uh, it can definitely be more of a like a, a more drowsy style of sativa. Uh, but it really comes down to your personal preference. And keep in mind also that uh, you know it's kind of like when you take a steak off a grill, it keeps cooking for a little while. Uh, when you harvest the plants, the trichomes will continue to uh, you know turn cloudy and amber uh, as they dry as well. So. Uh, you know, I kind of prefer when basically about 50% of the trichomes are cloudy. Um, so there'll be a few that are amber, a few that might still be clear, but for the most part, they're cloudy. And then I, I consider that to be sort of the, the peak harvest window. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so uh, thank you guys. Thanks, Chad and Max Carlton and Zach's dad. Uh, if you have a question that you'd like Dan to answer on the show, uh, you could reach us by email, freeweed at hightimes.com, and on Twitter, at Danny Danko, and you could use that hashtag, freeweed. Uh, we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to wrap it up. All right, so uh, there we have it. I think that's episode number 90 of Free Weed. <laughs> that's right. 90 episodes. Yeah. Yeah pretty awesome it is yeah we, yeah. Gotta, we should do something for 100 if we make it to 100 we should have like a, a cake or something yeah yeah <laughs> what do you guys make give us suggestions yeah. of what you think we should do what should we do for the 100 um, episode? episode yeah uh which will be 10 episodes from now yeah so give or take four years <laughs> we'll see no just a couple of months yeah uh i want to thank jesse peters from eco firma farms for appearing uh here we are wrapping it up with raw and uh, I want to thank BC Northern Lights, our sponsor, who are awesome. You should also check out urbancultivator.net. That's their, uh, their machines that make uh, microgreens. 
Oh. So yeah, Wait, if you're make interested, what? microgreens. Like if What's you're interested, a microgreen. Microgreens. Microgreens. Uh, yeah, you grow, uh, you know, like sprouts. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. super healthy. You put All that right. into like a smoothie. Very, very healthy. All right. Yeah. yeah. Urban cultivator. Check it out. Martha Stewart uses one. Uh, I'm sure she does. <laughs> uh, you guys should also check us out in either uh, Northern California or right. in Michigan. What are those yeah. dates? Uh, uh, June second like and third in uh, Sonoma County mm-hmm. at Santa Santa Rosa County uh, Sonoma County Fairgrounds, mm-hmm. and June 9th and tenth in Michigan. Clio. Clio. We can't wait, Clio. We can't wait to be back at the Auto City Speedway. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, thanks to Winstrong, thanks to Jacques, thanks to my co-host Mike G, Free Weed, episode 90, put it in the books. <laughs>